Today I'm speaking with David Wu, who is a senior at Bowdoin College, and he, I'm in a squeaky chair, he is not, um, and he, David, is an economics and government double major with a minor in Asian studies. He is from San Francisco, and he'll be continuing to run his financial services business that he started while in college, college when he graduates. Um, and so David is part of my special series that I am um, doing on this podcast of people whom uh, I taught in their first semester at Bowdoin and then taught them again in their last year at Bowdoin. And David is special because he did his first semester first year and his last semester first year with me. And we, you didn't take any other classes with me in the meantime, did you? Or did you? No, right? Okay, so you have a real... you. So while Jack took lots of courses yeah. in the meantime, we have just bookended. Okay, so we're going to talk about three questions. Um, what is most important to you? What does a liberal arts education mean to you? And I may sneak in a special question about reflecting on the you that came in when you first arrived at Bowdoin and who's leaving from Bowdoin. Um, and then the final regular question that I ask is, what do you wish your professors knew about you? So I will make sure that we get through to all those questions. And so now this ends the weird part where I just talk about you and now I'm gonna talk with you. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, so um, what is most important to you? I think most important to me is my family and, um, you know, of course there's uh, academics and everything else, but at the end of the day, I think I've come to realize that family's all I have and that, you know, it, everything that I achieve, I accomplish would mean nothing if, you know, I didn't have family to share with. So family is important. Um. What does your family think about the accomplishments that you've been able to sort of generate from a young age until now? Like, are you, do you feel like you have lived up to what their expectations are of you? Have you exceeded them? Have you took them in a different direction than anyone was expecting? I hope so. I mean, um, my family moved here when I was nine, I think. The only reason we moved was uh, for my education. You know, um, my parents don't speak English, and when they when we moved here, they were in their late forties. And when did you? And so, where did you move from? So I, I was born in um, like a rural China um, in the south. Um, when I was nine years old, my my grandparents already had already immigrated here nine years ago before I was born. And mm. when I when I moved, I was nine years old. I didn't speak any English. I moved to San Francisco. Uh, my my dad so for them there was really I mean for you know you can consider them economic migrants but I think for most for majority of it is just for my education and my future and you know I hope I have uh, met their expectations of you know getting um getting a college education and I'll be the first in my whole extended family to get a college degree so yeah Will they be able to come out for your graduation? Yeah, so my, my, my parents are coming to Bowdoin for my graduation and along with uh, a few of my very good friends. And, of course, I have a whole 
extended family uh, from Boston who will be coming up to, to, to my graduation as well. That's really exciting. Yeah. What, um, do you remember um, coming to the U.S.? Do you remember that experience at nine years old? Yeah, so actually, uh, when I, I, I do remember exactly, I came with my uncle, actually. I, I, got, on a, I got on a Singapore Airlines flight with my mm-hmm. uncle. My mom was still in China at that time. Um, I remember I was just eager to leave. Mm-hmm. I think I was eager to you know, go to a new place. I didn't know anything about the U.S. or, or San Francisco. But um, it's exciting. Um, when I when I landed, I mean, my my other uncles and my dad were at the airport. Mm-hmm. They were picking me up, and that's that's about it. I I don't think I was ever afraid. Um, my mom, my mom always tells me like, yeah, like you didn't really turn back. You just kind of walked. <laughs> wow. Kind of walked on aboard. Yeah. That would make that makes sense with based on what I know about you. Yeah. That sort of purpose and bravery. Yeah. Um, were you, how long had it been since you'd seen your father? My, my father. When you, because when you, your father was already in the U.S. Yeah. Had he been in the U.S. for a long time? Just six months. Okay, yeah. so it wasn't, it hadn't been years, but it probably felt like a long time. Yeah. To, I don't know, maybe you can't uh, remember. Maybe you were like, oh, whatever. It okay. was fine, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you hear about Bowdoin coming from San Francisco? Um, I was part of a program called CRISPRidge. Um, it's, it's a program started by, by a Stanford alum, and he, you know, it was a program that helps bring uh, high-achieving, uh, underprivileged students to, from you know, lower economic backgrounds to you know, these elite liberal arts colleges or universities. Um, sophomore year, I, my counselor you know, told me that there was a program I should apply for. I applied. That's how, and then junior year when I when it was time to fill out Common App, that's when I first you know, learned about Bowdoin College. Um, I think all through high school, all I knew about was you know the UCs and some of the big names like Harvard, Stanford. Uh, yeah, so Bowdoin definitely wasn't on my radar. Uh, it just happened that you know when admissions came, acceptance letters came out, and that Bowdoin mm. was one of them. And huh. I visited. I felt like I could fit in here. And you know the gen- the general feeling I got was that people were happy. That's kind of, that's why I decided to come here. Mm-hmm. That's how that's the general feeling I got too when I visited Bowdoin. I was like, are all these people happy? And I was like, they couldn't have like bribed all these people to act like they're happy. Like there must be some general level of happiness that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think accounts? Well, first of all, I guess I should ask. Do you feel now that you are not looking at Bowdoin as a prospective student? As you're, now that you're looking at it as someone who spent four years there, do you or three, three and a half? Well, how long were you abroad? I was abroad for half uh, one semester. Okay, so, so for three and a half years. Um, do you think people are happy at Bowdoin, or do you think that that's an impression people get, but there's something else really going on? That's a good question. Um, I don't think, on the surface, I think we're generally happy, you know, uh, as a, as a whole compared to maybe you know other colleges. But then again, you know, as being young adults, being teen, late teenagers, we definitely have a lot of issues that we struggle with, you know, inside. And you know, as I as I 
I got older, I you know com- came to learn that different people have their own struggles. I think we all have our own struggles mm-hmm. inside. Um, we we got, but once we step out of the room, you know, we're expected to kind of put up a face that you know we're happy. Mm. I wonder. I wonder who. I just am curious about where that comes from, right? That idea of having to put on the face that you're happy. I mean, do you think that that's a... I'm curious if you think that that's a mask or if that's a a good coping mechanism or mode of resilience that is effective. It could be both. I can see that, you know, by putting on this mask of happiness, you are actually feeling a little bit more uplifted. Um, it, you know, it could also be a coping me- mechanism yeah. Or maybe it doesn't help you at all. Right. I'm, I was just thinking as I was asking you the question and then I was thinking about it, I was wondering, well, it could be that fake it till you make it kind of idea of just take the action and maybe the rest will follow. But if you don't have anywhere to or anyone to talk to about the things that are underneath or somewhere to put that, then that could be... That could be an issue in the, right. yeah, in the long run, definitely. Um for example, depression or anxiety is definitely an issue among our student body, and yeah. a lot of oftentimes those don't get addressed because, you know, the social norm is you're expected to be happy and everything is fine, everything is sunshine, but um, yeah, so a lot of these issues get go un- under addressed. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, are you moving home? Will you live with your family, or will you go to San Francisco, or what's that? I mean, I know some of this just because we've talked in terms of going back to the Bay Area, but what will you do in terms of your family? Or do you go to Boston to be with your extended family? So, um, as an only child, I have inclinations to go back and spend a few years with my parents. So I'll be living with my parents for at most two years, and then I will move out and you know uh, find my own place. Also makes sense as as an entrepreneur, as a you know starting a starting a building a business is. I think it's very important financially to minimize your costs and kind of have the you know the mean the lean startup. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your tell tell me about more about your business? I know some of it, but so we can have it on the podcast. So yeah, so my, the business I do is in it's in financial education, financial services. What I do day to day basis is um, I give I teach people how money works, help them understand you know how they can plan for retirement, how how they can invest the money. And you know, I it, the end goal is to help people achieve financial independence. Why I why I started this, why I joined this platform, is um, because I I saw a need and I saw how people benefited from or could benefit from from this knowledge. Um, for example, I went to high school. I was at Bowdoin, but yet I still had no idea how how to grow, how to grow my money. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And then just kind of um, participating in the you know in the workshops in the company, I learned about you know the ninety five percent of Americans who don't have enough savings who never have an opportunity to learn how to how to make their money work for them. So I think and over the time and and as I practice the uh, practice um, this job over over the summers over winter breaks, I I came to realize that I could really help a lot of people. You know I've helped. 
business owners, um, yeah. teachers, even my high school teachers, and that's so great. When they when they tell me that oh I'm thankful that you you know you came back and you helped me with my my finances and it's, it's those moments just make me feel like what I do is meaningful and I can really make it make an impact in my family's life. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, do you feel where? How does your um, education with economics fold and go and Asian studies maybe you know like how do all these inform um, the business that you're doing now are, are they something that you feel are in that are they're integrated into your business or informing you or are they something that feels like a compartmentalized set of it is somewhat compartmentalized, but compartmentalized. But at the same time, I think it lays a lot of the foundational groundwork for what I have to learn. How it you no know, having an having an economics background definitely you know helped me understand finances better. Helped me understand you know, why inflation happens. Mm, how mm-hmm. how we pay taxes? Yeah, we all know we pay taxes, but why do we pay taxes? So mm-hmm. even government, you know, understanding how. Kind of, you can already say it's unrelated to you know personal finance, but understanding politics, understanding how governments run, really gives you a deeper and deep, deeper knowledge of mm-hmm. why do the, why do things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but in general, I think so one would say that it, economics and government is a lot of theory. Um, doesn't really apply to personal finance, but um, I think theories have their merits. Um, I'm just going to note in case this background noise is confusing to anyone. It's April 1st in Portland, Maine, and we had a big snowstorm today. And so you might hear these snowblowers and plows go by. So in case you hear that noise, that's what it is. Here it goes again. <laughs> um, so what does a liberal arts education mean to you? So I've had to reflect on liberal arts education as I was writing for my commencement speech uh, competition. Did you get it? We don't know. We will have to uh, wait and see. Okay. Uh, But one of the biggest things I've gained from a liberal arts education is being able to think across disciplines. Mm -hmm. I know everyone says that, but I I really experience it. Um, You know, for example, I can I look at an issue and I don't just look at it from one angle. And having having taken so many courses at Bowdoin, you know, I started out as pre med, then I went mm-hmm. to uh, math, then I went to computer science, and I went to sociology, and then now economics and government. I think so. That's I think that's the es- essence of a liberal arts education is that you're able to challenge yourself with different topics, and when you see a problem, you don't just look at it as oh this is how finance affects this problem, but no, but what about the social effects on mm-hmm. people and how does the government play a role and what is the math behind this? Mm-hmm. Um, so a liberal arts education has given me an open mind and has given me the skills to analyze from different angles. When you came in as pre-med, what 
altered your course? It's the after taking after taking bio one hundred nine biology one hundred nine mm-hmm. biology reasoning course. I you know it was an intensive course and you know, it demanded a lot of hours and spending many hours in lab and writing up uh, lab reports and at at the you know somehow in the middle of it I just realized I didn't particularly enjoy this lifestyle I couldn't imagine myself spending another five or six years doing the same thing and mm. you know um, I so I just decided that it wasn't for me. Hmm. How have you chosen to spend your time at Bowdoin? Beyond just your academics, what have you done? You know, if you said, okay, I don't want to spend all my time in a lab, but what have you been doing with your time? Yeah, so uh, I came out of Bowdoin. I was, I was an, I've been an athlete all through high school and middle school. So I, you know, I joined cross country. I ran cross country indoor and outdoor track for, for two years, and then I also... For the first two years, I would say I outside of the classroom, I spent a lot of time exercising, hmm. uh, meeting new friends, just kind of having fun, um, and then sophomore year, junior year, I stopped. I decided, you know, uh, running, running was, you know, I've had enough running, so I I decided to do other things. I invest now. Junior, I started investing a lot more time, you know, in talks, going to lectures, mm. reading on my own. So, I would get books from the library and just read. Um, what have you been reading, that on your own in the past couple of years that really has stuck with you? So, I've read a lot of books over the last few years um, outside of the classroom. I say I, I would say I spent a lot of time on personal development, mm-hmm. um, learning about you know business finance. Um, history, just reading popular books that I don't get a chance to read in in the classroom. I don't. I hear a lot of students tell me that they don't have time to read anything for pleasure, or they don't have time to read books of their own. You know, books of their own choosing. I think it's a matter of prioritization and time management. Um, Although we think we have good time management skills, we may not have time management skills. You know, what one one of the personal developments that I've gone through is you know having better time management skills and not getting distracted by social media on my phone. And yeah, so what are some of the strategies you've used? Definitely, a big thing is uh, using a calendar. I you know I write down um, what I have to do today, and I just finish those tasks and. Carrying the book around with me in my backpack is also really helpful. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we have these awkward 30-minute uh, periods. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that time? You could read. Or um, on a Friday night, you have two hours free. Mm-hmm. You may want to finish a book. Also, I think it's, you know, at the end, it's also a lot of uh, motivation. Like, do you really care enough to read to finish that book? Yeah. Is that a priority? Or do you, would you rather just spend an extra hour at the cafe? Mm-hmm. Do you limit your social media use? I definitely do. Um, and I, you know, there are numerous articles about how social media is, uh, you know, wasting our time. Mm-hmm. It's not very effective. It decreases our productivity. So every, I think, I mean, I am also, you know, a millennial and millennials like social media. 
So every time I go on social media, I, you know, at the back of my mind, I just think, I tell myself, I know this is, you know, not productive, so I need to get off of it ASAP. And I, I do. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's interest, I mean, there's, I was such a um, detractor from any social media, media, and then I started this Twitter project, and I've been seeing how both useful Twitter can be to connect, to both inform me and connect me to people who have become really important parts of my life. But then, right, there almost always comes a moment where I'm like, and now I'm just goofing around. You know, there's there's a moment where I can see the diminishing returns. It's definitely a double-edged sword, I think. Um, I, I use social media a lot in term in productive ways and also, you know, unproductive ways. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's very powerful when we can use it correctly. You know, Twitter, Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, for example, social activism, yep. spreading articles, spreading knowledge, and I think helping us getting connected to peers who don't live in our own city and yep. reconnecting with family. Um, definitely very useful tool. What do you think is the most significant way because I think you're a real observer of culture and people um, what do you think I don't know if you think that about yourself but I see you as sort of always watching and saying here's what's going like you're making sense of what's going on in different places what do you think is the biggest way that Bowdoin students waste time and if you don't want to just stick with one you can go to like two or three yeah um, the biggest one, of course, this is, does not apply to everyone, just from my personal observation, mm-hmm. I think is the, the party culture. That, you know, you come in, you come in as a fresh, as a first year, and, you know, we get all this, this freedom that we're finally away from our parents, and, oh, I can do whatever I want with my time. But, I mean, on Friday nights, Saturday nights, it, there's this kind of social pressure that, you have to go out to party to drink in order to be cool. Um, so that's that's number one. And another one straight off my head is um, just sitting around getting distracted by by things, not not having a focus agenda. I think that's what I'm getting at. Mm, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we switch from task to task, multitasking. I actually think multitasking is ineffective. You know, we, we, we always try to convince ourselves that we're exceptional, that, oh, I can multitask. I can write my paper while I'm having a conversation with uh, my other friend or work on, do my homework, do my reading while I'm watching uh, the basketball game, bas- the basketball game. Right. No way. No. I could. I could never yeah. do either of those things yeah. for sure. Um, did you end up? Did you participate at all in party culture when you came? Did you feel that pressure and like go try it out, or were you so focused on like, look, I'm at college and I have some business to get. You know that kind of classic child of immigrants. Immig- mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah. This didn't come until later. I would definitely say. I, there was a pressure, you know, as as a first year to you know being to to do what all your friends are doing. I mean, it's a it's a bonding moment. Right. Like weekends are for bonding. Social. It's a social time, and 
I didn't do as much as the first year, but uh, a sophomore year I did. Mm -hmm. um, I went out a little bit more on uh, you know Friday night, Saturday night, and spending more time with friends. Mm -hmm. And then you know, and then I learned as a junior and senior that you you know you, it's up to you to how you shape that experience, because you could use that time to just you know get intoxicated or. You could use the time to socialize, and I know a lot of you know friendships are made through these um, you know Friday night and Saturday night events. Mm -hmm. So, what do you see as the biggest difference between your um, first year self? who was in my urban education class and your senior year self that's in my education of the human condition class? That's, okay, that's a really big question. Yeah, so I think coming in as a first year, I was definitely not used to this environment coming from an urban public high school. I mean, our class was about urban education. We were talking about my high school. <laughs> um, but... Being, seeing myself, you know, moving from one place from a small bubble to a devoted where I was exposed to, you know, different people and, you know, just a totally different culture. I, I was, I think, looking back, I was in a cultural shock. Um, and today, uh, as a senior, I think I have learned and have been adapted to it. So... In your class, I don't feel uncomfortable anymore, and you know I feel perfectly comfortable being who I am. And I almost at times, as a first year, I felt inadequate at times, and I think today, you know, I I feel very confident about what I know and what I could bring to the on the bring to the table. And because of you know Alpoden, I I would say it's the the education that I have received in the last four years. I've gone to grow so much in the classroom and outside the classrooms and uh, the resources that Bowdoin has given me, um, yeah, just they have been just tremendous and, you know, also from, from my running a business, I've mm. also matured a lot. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I wrote down the word confident. Yeah. That you're so confident now and with good reason, like, that you just own the space around you um, in a way that's very generous to everyone around you know it's very generous to everyone around you but yes there's definitely a sense of I belong this is my place here's here's what I have to offer here mm -hmm. I like seeing that what do you think I have do you think I've changed since first year you've become more of a hipster <laughs> yeah so I haven't seen I mean I, I see you on campus every in every few months I think um, yeah, so the, as a senior, I, can, I came back and I was like, oh, Doris has a new haircut. And she looks like a hipster. And then, you know, remember that one time you were walking, I walked you back to your, your office and, you know, you, you saw me the class, you saw me education and human condition. And I, also, I, thought, I thought about it, it's very fitting that, you know, I start, I start with Doris and then I finish as a senior. And I feel like what I, I'm at a moment... This class really got me to reflect the most about my education at mm. Bowdoin. And 
our society in general. So I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, mm. Yeah. I'm, I love that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what do you wish your professors knew about you? That's a hard question. Mm -hmm. um, I think ideally, in you know, as we as we talk about in education, that professors should recognize that students come from different backgrounds and different capabilities, and there's not one way of teaching. I think that's what some Bowdoin professors may miss is that we try. I mean, they they try to grade every student based on one standard. And that may not be the standard to you know to to gauge how how much a student has studied or how maybe there's just something with the exam that they can't you know completely grasp um of course we we have to be we have to understand that like in a, in a classroom setting it's hard to have multiple standards you have to just kind of stick with one um so i i i think i I would wish that professors had understood. Not just me, I think that different students come from different backgrounds and maybe getting that one grade on that one assignment doesn't mean that they don't care or they didn't haven't tried enough, tried hard enough. From personal bias, I think everyone who comes to Bowdoin tries hard. Um, so maybe at the end it's up to the student to take the, the number as a, with a grain of salt. And maybe... This we shouldn't let this number judge how capable I am. Mm. I like that. What advice would you have given to your first year self? First year self, I definitely would go back and tell myself to take more risks. I think I, there were m many instances where I held myself back because I wasn't comfortable with putting myself out there or even going for something that um, I'm not used to. So like I said, I only stuck with running because that was what I was good at. I was really good at it and, you know, all through high school and, but I didn't venture out or, you know, try out maybe um, volunteering or try out, trying out different clubs. Um, and socially, I think I would have been more bold. Um, perhaps it's coming from my community where, you know, all my friends were like, they were Asian Americans and I wasn't necessarily, oh, actually I know why I didn't because, you know, I, I didn't have the social capital. I think that was one, kind of one obstacle for, as an, as a first gen, as a, as a person, as the non-native. I think, um, I, at times, you know, I was honking to my cross-country teammates or mm -hmm. my friends, there were just some, sometimes that I couldn't completely fit in or fit into the conversation so yeah but the, the biggest thing I think would be just going taking more risks uh, I mean I did take some risks but could have take could have done more I think that's what I, um, I would tell to everyone too thank you yeah. I think that that's great advice for anyone at Bowdoin yeah.